but here was the person who had abused me being comforted and presented in a non-threatening way and then being celebrated at this going away party and and I was completely isolated and alone struggling with what had happened. Hey everyone, I am Mary Demuth and this is The Restory Show and we are reprising The Restory Show for a very special episode with my friend Jules Woodson. Actually, I mean, we're best friends, but we haven't met in person yet. So I just have a feeling (laughs) (laughs) that we would be best friends if we met in person. Anyway, Jules, thanks so much for coming to The Restory Show today. Mary, thank you so much for having me on. It's such a blessing and a privilege to have you here. And I know that you've walked a really difficult story. And, you know, I I told you before we started recording that I'm writing a book about the church and sexual abuse victims. And so uh, this is just going to be a terrific interview. And hopefully my heart is it would be redemptive for people, that they would begin to see ways that they could be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who have been suffering. At least that's my hope. And I know that that's probably your hope as well. Am I right? Absolutely. That's definitely my prayer. Yes. And that's kind of the thing that I think God is raising up in many people these days is that he is raising up the church, not to bash the church, but because we love the church and we want to see her doing a better job of loving people who have been through trauma. And so that's why I really love your story so much. You haven't abandoned the church. You have been deeply wounded by the church, but you are still Mm -hmm. walking with Jesus. And so that's why I wanted to have you share your story today. Absolutely. So take us back to high school and share with us a story that you wanted to share with the Restory listeners today. Um, So I grew up in the church and um, have been going to Woodlands Parkway Baptist Church for a very long time, since I was five years old, actually, and was very involved uh, growing up in Sunday school. And then as I got older, um, I was actually a singer and would sing at Sunday services, and then with the youth choir and with the adult choir, and then on the praise team, was just very involved in things. Um, It was my, certainly like my family. And um, my mom was also very involved in the church. Uh, She was on the search committee that brought Steve Bradley on as senior pastor of Woodlands Parkway Baptist Church. She was also on the committee that brought on Larry Cotton as the associate pastor of the church. And she was also on the search committee that brought Andy Savage on as the youth pastor. That happened when I was about 15 years old um, that Andy came to our church um, because my mom was very involved and me and my twin sister were entering into the youth group and it was you know, a very important time in our life. And she certainly wanted to see us very involved. Um, And because she had already established a close relationship with Andy being on the search committee and and being one of the ones to, you know, choose him to come to our church, um, we were all very close. Um, I definitely remember Andy uh, paying me special attention. which made me feel really good because um, as I got older, my junior year, um, things were pretty tough at home and my parents ended up going through a divorce. And I had always been a daddy's girl. So I 
um, now my dad was living away from us and um, me and my twin sister were living with my mom. We still attended church. Um, my dad did not. And it was just a very hard time in my life. Um, I felt very vulnerable and I missed having uh, my father so present in, in my day-to-day life. Uh, these are all things that uh, I opened up to um, Andy about and how I struggled with them and whatnot. Um, getting to my senior year in high school, one day after school, we had all gone up to the church. And I say we, just multiple friends of mine, we used to go up there, even if we didn't have a church event going on, like a set church event, we just all hung out together. And um, I don't remember there being any church event that night. We had just all decided to meet up. Uh, we were playing guitar and singing worship songs and just hanging out and having a great time praising God. And um, slowly as the night got uh, later, everybody kind of trickled out and I ended up being the only one left. And I remember calling my mom and asking her if it was okay if Andy gave me a ride home. That was important to me because I knew there was a rule that Andy was not supposed to be alone with anyone in any of the girls in the youth group. Yet, we had just had such a close relationship um, for years. That rule had been broken many times. And so it was not, um, you know, an issue for me. I certainly felt as, as a good daughter, I needed to call and get permission, um, to which my mom said yes. Um, but I did not see that as a, as, as a threat in any way, so to speak. Uh, when we were driving to my house, uh, he missed the turn to go to my house. And I remember asking him something about where are we going? And he wouldn't tell me. Um, I don't remember exactly if he said, this is a surprise or you'll see. But he would not tell me where we are going. I remember feeling like, oh, I was special. Like maybe Andy wanted to tell me a secret or something. And um, just the fact that this great person of God um, that I knew and trusted and looked up to wanted to spend extra time with me made me feel important and and wanted and ends up um, he took me down a dark dirt road and he um, sexually assaulted me and uh, the next day I reported it to Larry Cotton, who was the associate pastor, uh, I was completely shaken in tears, hmm. and um, he stopped me mid-story, and he said, so, so you're telling me you participated, and it was at that moment, Mary, that hmm. I just felt the, the wind go out of me. I just knew it didn't even matter what I said, hmm. uh, that I was being blamed for what happened. And uh, I do remember uh, asking, well, what's going to happen? And he said that the church would handle it. And then Andy continued to teach. Um, From my perspective, um, as a youth student, nothing had changed. He even taught a true love weights 
session with um, our youth group. Wow. And That's audacious. <laughs> it's um, horrifying. Yes. yes. And after that, uh, I just remember feeling so depressed and so alone and, but, but also just frustrated that nothing had been done, even after I reported it to the church. And so I did end up telling a few girls in a small discipleship group I was a part of. I didn't tell them everything, but uh, I did share that something inappropriate had happened. Uh, and from what I understand, it was one of those girls went home and told her parents, and those parents immediately contacted Steve Bradley and Larry Cotton, who were the two pastors at the church. And it was then that they finally did pull Andy off of staff. Um, but even as they did that, uh, they allowed him to go before the church and simply say he had made a mistake. Hmm. I was not there. Um, for that service, um, nor the going away party that they threw for him afterwards. But here was the person who had abused me um, being, you know, comforted and presented in a non-threatening way and then being celebrated at this going away party. And, and I was completely isolated and alone. Hmm. struggling with what had happened. Had your mom, did your mom know by this time? She um, did not know the whole story. Um, she thought it was just a kiss. Andy went to apologize to her and did not tell her what happened. He lied to her. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And it wasn't till later that she found out more details, but, even then, she didn't have the full scope of what happened until I finally uh, opened up to her just a few years ago and just wow. broke down and told her the whole story. Yeah. Wow, that was a long time to not talk about it. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that with judgment at all. It's just that's so normal to have happen. But you know, your, your mom, speaking as a mom, um, she must have felt awful as well as someone who recruited him and trusted him and allowed him to take you home. And how did she, when you talked to her a couple of years ago, how did she respond in, in that moment? We both cried our eyes out. Yeah. Um, it was very emotional. And um, I know that she has a lot of guilt uh, because she didn't know. But yeah. as a 17-year-old, a minor um, who grew up, you know, in the purity culture and, you know, more or less patriarchy where the women were subservient and mm -hmm. we were quiet and we submitted and we prayed for God to bring us this, you know, wonderful godly man <laughs> to be our husband, you know, but we didn't people didn't talk about those things. And uh, like I said, especially because of the purity culture, you know, I was raised true love weights is all about not just abstinence from sex, but just keeping pure in your thoughts even. Um, and so there was so much shame and humiliation that I felt. 
that I was too embarrassed mm-hmm. to talk about it, especially after I had gone to the church mm-hmm. and they then asked if I participated and basically did nothing. I'm currently um, looking through the Old Testament and cases of rape and um, thinking about Bathsheba and writing about her and David. And in that position, she had no other option but to consent because he was the king. And I hadn't really thought about that before, that that actually was a form of rape for sure, because mm-hmm. there was she, he was in position of authority over her. She would be facing death if she said no. And mm-hmm. um, when Nathan the prophet confronted David, he never, ever, ever confronted Bathsheba. He never said, what were you wearing? He never said, oh, you were bathing on the, the top of your house, which was her private house. He never said, well, you bear partial blame for this because, no, all of it was, really, you know, it was directed only at David. And that brought me a lot of comfort as I rethought about that story. And it showed me just... First of all, how vulnerable you all are, I, and especially being a daddy's girl and losing your dad in that such a profound way. I was one of those girls in high school that had an extreme daddy wound with a, a father who died and several different stepfathers who were in and out of my life. And there, I remember this guy who was um, a young life leader. And oh, did I have a crush on him? I just thought he was everything. <laughs> I hung the moon. But he never, right. never once violated that boundary. And Mm -hmm. I I love him for the rest of my life for that because I was ripe for the picking. And so if I put myself in your situation, I would have been in the exact same position as you were. And if someone that I believed was godly and cared for me and was kind of fatherly toward me, I would have, I would have consented. And I, I wouldn't, because of that huge power differential that's going on. So. Right. um, Absolutely. I mean, and you know, I've, I've played it back in my head a million times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be popular. I wanted attention. But I didn't want to have sex with my youth pastor. Right. (laughs) And, you know, in that moment, everything was just so overwhelming and confusing. and terrifying. Well, and that's the other thing too, is um, we know that with sexual abuse, abuse victims, it's fight flight, but often it's freeze. And, Mm. you know, there's just this like either a, a, um, a frozen consent or just freezing, like you just can't do anything. I think we forget about that part of trauma that some people just they don't fight back. They don't, you know, in the, in the afterwards, you think, oh, I should have done this. I should have kicked him. I should have oh, yelled absolutely. at him. I should have left the car and walked down the scary road by myself. I should have done this. And, but in the middle of trauma, our bodies break down and they shut down and they can't, you, you can't even believe what is going on. The situation is so crazy that your head is protecting you from the trauma and you stop working correctly. And so- absolutely. I know that, you know, I would have done the same thing. I would have looked back. I would have, I'm very good at blaming myself for everything. And so I would have said, well, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? But furthermore, after it happened, I would imagine, and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I would imagine growing up in that culture and knowing that your virginity was the only thing 
that, I mean, your most prized possession ever, like your whole identity is wrapped up in it, that if you lost sure. it in a way, then you've truly lost everything. How did you feel after that? Oh, that's exactly how I felt. And, and not only did um, I lose it, but I lost it with the person that I thought was safe and that I trusted and that I looked up to, that I wanted to emulate someone who, you know, I had prayed that God would bring me someone like him, you know? Um, and it was just, it was absolutely soul crushing, soul feeling. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think some people forget or, or don't understand that when you have sexual abuse, just in general, it's, it's physical, emotional, psychological trauma. And then when you enter sexual abuse into the church environment, when you have clergy sexual abuse, there's a whole other aspect of spiritual abuse that goes along with it. And not only was um, the assault by Andy spiritual abuse, but the way the church treated me when I went to report it mm -hmm. and how they continued to treat me. And even still to this day, um, Steve Bradley is still the senior pastor of the church. Uh, they have since changed their name, but it's the same church, and he's still senior pastor. And when I came forward with my story this January, he said, our hearts are saddened now just as we were 20 years ago. But to say that we had any part in silencing jewels or participating in a cover-up is completely false. So he basically called me a liar 20 years later when my abuser has admitted that it happened when Larry Cotton, who was the associate pastor at the time that I reported it to, came out, resigned, and said it was sexual abuse. It should have been reported to the police. And yet they still want to deny. And, and it's tough. That's tough. It is, and it's uh, it's confounding, and it doesn't make sense when you look at the life of Jesus. I just can't see him doing mm. any of those things, and it, it's a conundrum for me. Um, so let's go forward a little bit. You made it through college. Um, what were some of the things that haunted you about the abuse, or how did you work through it, or did you just shove it down? What were some of the repercussions? Sure. So um, I just could not wait. I was going out of state for college. I could not wait to get out of town. I wanted a fresh start. I wanted this in my past because I couldn't even deal with it. I was so depressed and just struggling so much internally. And so as I went to college, I excelled really uh, more than I ever had in my entire life. I made, made Dean's List all through college. But Internally, I, I was a complete wreck. Um, I started cutting myself, mm -hmm. and um, I, I knew I didn't want to die, but it seemed like death was the only way to eliminate the shame and pain I was feeling. And it was just so, so horrifying. And I was a wreck. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I ended up being, uh, I had to leave college and I was committed to a psychiatric hospital. And as embarrassing 
as it was at the time. And even though I wasn't truly ready to face uh, all that I had been through, it looking back now as an adult, it saved my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that I was able to get help um, a few years later. And it has been a work in progress, I, I will admit. Um, you know, I have had lots of therapists and counselors, and um, I have been able to be on medicine for my depression and my anxiety, which has been very helpful for me. And, um, but the, the real healing um, did not finally come until this January. Yeah. So bring us up to speed on that. You, um, I know your story, so I know that you started to hear about the Me Too movement and then what prompted you to share? What were the events that brought this to the light? Sure. So I, um, of course, this last fall, um, the Me Too movement was really in the news um, and it's such a trigger. Um, and I, say that with um, sorrow for anybody else who is also a survivor because I know how hard it is to hear these stories. Mm -hmm. And um, I am actually a flight attendant. I was on an overnight um, December 1st of 2017. And I have three kids. And so my when I fly, when I work, it's, it's my little time away, <laughs> so to speak. Um, I had a long layover, so I was excited to just go downstairs and get coffee and get the paper and just kind of relax and enjoy my morning. Um, I got down and I picked up the copy of the USA Today, and on the front cover was Matt Lauer. And mm. I just lost it. Um, I said, I cannot not deal with this mm -hmm. any longer. And it was then that I actually wrote an email to my abuser, Andy Savage, who uh, was now a teaching pastor at a mega church in Tennessee. And I asked him if he remembered the title of my email was actually, do you remember question mark? And I said, something along the lines of, do you remember uh, driving me down the dark dirt road and hmm. sexually assaulting me? Do you remember how you made me feel like you loved me in order to get me to participate? Well, I remember. And I couldn't believe that I had found the courage to even write that in his send and although I was really proud of myself I was terrified because I knew that I had just opened a can of worms yeah I was terrified for what he would say and uh, it was a it was a very overwhelming moment so to speak um Shortly after that, I just started researching anything I could find about um, clergy sexual abuse for years, Mary, years, mm. 20 years almost. I thought I was the only one. Wow. And I started finding things on the internet, and I happened across uh, a story by three 
survivors, they're now men, um, but they were youth and they were sexually abused by their youth pastor um, around the same time that I was abused by Andy and they had come forward with their stories. And it was not only just hearing their story, but also um, when they had gone public a year before, their church where they were abused was actually merging with the mega church where my abuser worked. And so they met with my abuser and tried to tell their stories and they were silenced. And my abuser was quoted in one of their stories saying to the congregations of the two churches that were merging, there's nothing sinister going on here. There's nothing bad going on. This is just two great churches coming together. And Mary, it was, it was knowing that my abuser not only abused me, but is trying to silence the abuse of these three guys who had found the courage to come forward with their story. And at that point, I felt beyond a moral obligation mm-hmm. to, um, to act. Um, I waited some time. I, I prayed. Um, I spoke to more people. I got to know Dee Parsons and Amy Smith, um, which are two amazing women and advocate, advocates um, for abuse survivors in the church. And um, after a month of not getting a response from Andy, uh, I decided to tell my story publicly on their blog. And honestly, I thought maybe a hundred people would read it. But if one person who had experienced something similar um, knew that they were not alone from reading my story, then it was worth it to me. Um, Of course, I had no idea that my story would, within days, make international news. So you didn't, I mean, I would imagine that you got some pushback from folks and you probably did not, um, although I'm sure you've got a lot of like really positive, thank you for telling your story. I'm glad I'm not alone, which is awesome. Um, what kind of response did you get that was negative? I would imagine people from that, from Andy's church would be like, well, that was 20 years ago. You know, that's awesome saying that we all love so much. Um, what kind of pushback did you receive when that happened? Um, Well, quite a lot from quite a few different people. So actually the day that we published my story on Dee and Amy's blog, Andy came out with a statement that he posted on his blog that basically admitted to everything, yet it was um, traumatizing in the fact that he minimized, he called it an incident. He said (laughs) how it was 20 years ago. And then two days later, he takes that same statement and goes before his church and with Chris Conley, who was the head pastor of this mega church in Tennessee, High Point, uh, having his arm around Andy's back. Andy basically reads his statement again. And Chris Conley says, we all stand with you. The church supports you. And then the entire congregation gave him a standing ovation and that was completely re-traumatizing all over again as 
I'm sure you can imagine. Because here was my abuser who 20 years ago, after I had reported the abuse, got a, got a going away party mm-hmm. from the church. And now here he is admitting it and getting a standing ovation from a different church. Mm. But um, as soon as that happened, of course, everybody said, oh, well, he was just a kid. People came out online and said that I was a slut, Mm. that um, I wanted it, that I was desperate for money. And so that's why I'm coming forward. (laughs) Um, Oh, Mary, there were so many yucky, yucky things um, that were said about me. And, you know, that, that was tough. That was tough. But I knew the moment we hit publish and, and told my story, I had this huge weight lifted off of my back because this wasn't my shame to carry. And mm. um, finally, I was, I was putting that back with the person who it belonged to mm-hmm. all this time. And that was very freeing and nobody, no matter what they say, could take that away from me, you know? Well, there's a lot of research now out that talks about secondary abuse or secondary trauma. And when people don't respond well, or they retaliate like that, when the church pushes back, when they say, we'll do something about it, but you participated, all those things are are almost just as traumatizing as the initial event Versus when um, some people who have had that kind of trauma go to the authorities or they go to someone and, it, and it's dealt with well, then the trauma begins to heal at that moment. But it sounds like mm-hmm. you worked through those 20 years, there was still a lot unsaid. And finally, in January, it came out, you um, experienced more backlash, which was more trauma, but you also experienced the freedom of just saying, yep, this is my story. This is what happened. And like you said, uh, leaving the shame on the, at the feet of the person who caused it in the first place. And so yes. that's my heart for having this interview is to remind believers that it is important the way we respond. And even if it's just, mm-hmm. I hear you, I believe you, let me ask you some more questions. You don't have to answer them if you don't want to, but I want to hear your story. I mean, that would have gone a really long way. Um, for you, I'm imagining. (laughs) Absolutely. It's, um, it's just, it breaks my heart. Um, not only because yes, it caused me more hurt, but, but I see how it hurts the church when the church Mm -hmm. continues to deny, Mm -hmm. um, the, the problems that are right there in front of their face. And, you know, whether it's, they are trying to protect their reputation or, you know, their funding, their image, whatever. And, and people even said, oh, well, she's just trying to tear down the church. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Honestly, I love the church. And I hope, I, I pray, I wish that the church was one of the safest places for the wounded and the vulnerable. And the fact that it's not is something I want to change. But when there's continued denial and minimization and 
you know, refusing to address these problems, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for me. It's heartbreaking for, um, I think it's heartbreaking for Christ. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's heartbreaking for the congregation. It's so sad. Before we finish, you know, what eventually happened, how did you, when, when you got all this pushback, when you came pub, went public, what anchored you in that storm? What helped you to be okay when those terrible things were said about you? Well, I, um, like I said before, uh, I had prayed to God um, before I ever even emailed Andy that he would guide me and direct me um, through my emotions, through my trauma, um, that I would always, you know, continue to look to him and uh, that I wanted to honor him in, in whatever my actions were. And I feel like he has certainly blessed me um, by giving me a peace, even mm. amidst, you know, some of the awful things that were said and, and uh, the, the way the church responded and in all of those heartbreaking moments that I knew I had done the right thing and um, that he was with me and, and he was in charge of this situation. And that really kept me anchored. I am forever indebted to um, Kenny Brooks and Michael, who were the three men who told their story and Dee and Amy, they became my, number one supporters and they didn't do it for themselves. They just loved me and respected me and wanted to support me in, in whatever way I was comfortable with. And that was also just such a blessing to have that amazing support system um, to kind of keep me anchored through the overwhelming feelings. Yeah. So important. And, you know, I, that, that was my hunch. I was thinking that Jesus had something to do with that for sure. <laughs> and, uh, but yes, but also the body of Christ and having other people where I've said often to audiences, we're wounded in negative community, but God calls us to be healed in good community. And I'm grateful mm-hmm. that you found that in the circle of those women and those men who were so bravely, um, so bravely came forward and there's there's something really like I feel like some of those people are my closest friends because there's it's like you survived a war together and you don't have to make up language to try to talk about it everybody just understands it they're like yeah yep yes (laughs) totally agree something beautiful about that so eventually what happened uh to the narrative of andy what happened there so as they um started to get negative feedback as my story made international news and i think they the big title was the standing ovation heard around the world. Um, Pastor admits to sexually abusing a minor and gets standing ovation. And Mm -hmm. as the world really stood up and said, Oh my gosh, this is horrible and so wrong. um, Then investigations started um, 
so Larry Cotton um, was involved in an investigation at Austin Stone Church. Um, Andy Savage was also involved in an investigation at High Point Church. Um, then Larry Cotton resigned. Um, and in his resignation, he stated that it was sexual abuse and that it should have been reported to police. Then Andy resigned, and then Chris Conley, who was over Andy at High Point, uh, has also resigned as well. So since January, three of the four pastors involved in my story have stepped down. Um, although I would have liked to have seen things um, happen in a different manner, um, just for example, I think if you have someone who is a shepherd who abuses their flock, I think that there should be no resignation. That should be an automatic firing. Um, right. You know, the Bible is very clear uh, about what they require of our pastors and, and what it is to be above reproach and to abuse um a member of the congregation or and or to cover it up, um, I think is absolutely disqualifying on many levels. But um, nonetheless, three of the four have resigned and um, God has just continued to give me a platform to share my story. And uh, it's been really healing. Uh, for me to, to work through these things, um, to be able to share the truth and to help others along the way. It's been really an amazing process. I believe that emancipation becomes even more heightened and beautiful when we set other people free. And I believe that mm. we are set free to set others free. And there's some sort of like amazing healing that happens when we are part of emancipating somebody else. There's another level of healing that comes. So I can imagine that continuing to minister to others is just like a strange icing on the cake of, yes, you have to <laughs> bear the weight of another person's story, but you also get to participate in the healing that, that so many of us need. And this yeah. is a this Absolutely. is a sexual abuse ec epidemic. Like it is epidemic. It is mm. in the church. It's mm -hmm. in the world. It's fueled by all sorts of things. Of course, sin, of course, porn, like the proliferation of porn has caused people to do all sorts of crazy things and traffic people mm -hmm. and whatnot. I mean, it's, it's dark. It's the, I think it's the enemy's, one of his greatest tools against humanity, because if he can ruin you and your sexual identity and your sexuality, he'll, he's, he'll take you out. And Absolutely. So, I totally agree. <laughs> so what we're doing by sharing our stories is, is bringing light into the darkness. And so um, keep having a group of people around you praying for you because you're going to continue to receive that kind of attack um, in various ways as you continue to speak. So get a prayer team, make sure they're praying for you because it's a huge, Absolutely. huge responsibility. <laughs> Absolutely. So what advice would you give to someone who's gone through something similar? Um, well, that's a big question. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, you know, when I, when I decided to share my story, I had three goals. Um, my first goal was uh, 
to kind of get gain some personal healing for myself, some, uh, I wouldn't call it closure, um, but to actually address the things that had happened to me um, and, and get some healing from that to tell the truth. Um, the second thing um, was to let other survivors know that they are not alone. Like I said earlier, I, for 20 years, Mary, I had no idea, even though others have been speaking about clergy abuse for years, I had no idea I had, you know, been isolated um, with depression and, and shame and all of those awful feelings. And I had no idea that other people even had experienced something like I had or, you know, that it wasn't my fault, all of those things. And so I really wanted other survivors to, to just know that they were not alone. And the third goal I had was to create positive change in the church. Um, I want to see the church be a wonderful, healing, safe place for all victims of abuse. And, um, and I think that that will only happen when we begin to truly address the problems and call, call them by name, say it like it is. And so that's what I've done. Um, as far as advice for other people, I would definitely say, um, you know, it's so important to have um, a support group around you. Um, my my team, as I call them, quote unquote, of the Amy Kenny McFadden Michael, um, have just. I would not be where I am today if it if it weren't for them. They have prayed with me, they have cried with me, they have stood beside me as I did some really hard things, some brave things as well. And um, that support is just incredible, and I highly recommend that. Um, I also recommend um, seeking, you know some other type of trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. um, I am blessed to have a really wonderful therapist, um, but that has brought me so much healing um, itself. And so I think that's really important that it's called self-care. You know, yes. you have to take care of yourself um, and, and seeing a, you know, trauma-informed therapist has, has really been helpful for me as well. And um, I would just say, you know, um, take, take care of yourself. Uh, pray. I have, you know, sought God's advice through this entire situation. And um, you know, I, I have said on my knees, Lord, I, I want to serve you. I want to honor you in all that I say and do. And he has just given me a, a peace that, that nobody or nothing else could ever give me. And um, that has just been so amazing. And although I struggle um, 
sometimes with the with the institution of the church and and some of the ways you know leadership positions are handled and and the way they deal with problems such as abuse um my faith in God has only grown stronger and um that's nobody loves us more <laughs> and that's an amazing feeling yes I so that agree. he will not abandon us <laughs> yes I was researching for this book and I was writing about Hagar and uh just the fact that she was really marginalized and yet God saw her and he heard her and he did not leave mm. her though she was completely abandoned and alone and I think Isn't that's that beautiful. I think that's such a great word for people who may feel that way. The truth is he doesn't. The church may have a bad response, but he does not. And um, he empathizes with the victim. And we see it when we watch Jesus. We just see it in the New Testament so much. Um, so my last question that I always ask everybody is how has God restoried you in the past year? And you've pretty much answered it throughout the whole interview, but maybe you have an extra <laughs> little nugget to give us. Um, well, Mary, God has restored me and restored me in so many amazing ways. Um, you know, like, like I've been talking about, I never would imagine even, even as recent as, December and January that I would be where I am today now. Um, God has allowed me to tell my my awful truth. Um, and through that, he has brought me so much healing. And not only for myself, but for many others as well. And as I continue to share my story and be blessed to have platforms to do that, um, that, that we can bring awareness to the problem of abuse in the church and to clergy sexual abuse. And he, is, he has taken me through this journey and embraced me the entire way. And as I continue to advocate for others, I see his hand reaching out to so many. And finally, they see too that they are not alone. And it is a great, great feeling. That is so good and so rewarding. And I know that as people listen to this around the world, they're going to just maybe exhale a little bit knowing they're not alone and that God is there to heal and that they can get, they can wrestle through the church's response, but ultimately there is healing and there is hope. And absolutely, like I said, I mean, we're set free to set others free. So I think I just want to commend you for doing that. I appreciate you. I appreciate your story. I appreciate your guts. I appreciate all of what you've done. I mean, it's really started off a really beautiful snowball that's going down a hill that's not stopping. And there's some momentum, some holy momentum there that I think the church is going to benefit from. And I know that's your heart. Well, the glory be to God. Yes. I, I pray that he, um, is using this my story and, and so many others that have felt safe to come forward mm -hmm. since, um, that that he is using this to um, to make 
his bride better. Yes. And that's our heart. It's not, like I said before, it's like, we're not here to, yes, we love the church because so much that we want her to be better, but we're not here to bash <laughs> the church. We're here to enhance or help or Absolutely. shed light on some darkness in the church that is sin, uh, blatantly just sin <laughs> and needs to be dealt yeah. with. So, yeah. 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 Well, thank you again, Jules, and thank you to you, listener, for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? So here goes. Jesus, I pray for Jules. I pray for her story. I thank you for it. I pray for um, her family. I pray for protection. I thank you for speaking the words that you did through her. I thank you for loving her well. I thank you that she's not defined by the trauma, but that she has become one who sets others free. And I, I pray that for my audience as well, that we would not be, we can talk about it, we can be honest about it, we can heal from it, we can share our stories, but we don't have to only be defined by our trauma. We're defined by you and our identity is in you. We trust you for that. Um, Lord, for those who were triggered by this episode or maybe just didn't want to listen or they um, are having a hard time with it, I just pray your peace and your grace to wash over them right now in Jesus' name, that your spirit would be that gentleman healer, not one to cause stress or ruckus, but just peaceful healing. And Lord, I pray that you would surround my friends listening today with other people who have the empathy of Jesus, who are willing to bear burdens. We desperately need burden bearers in the body of Christ. And so I pray that you would send more. And Lord, would you just shed your light on your church? Would you make her clean? Would you root out this evil of disbelief and um, marginalizing victims and praising perpetrators? Lord, this is wrong and it's not your heart. And we pray that you would root it out by the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you are one who looked for the victim. You were one who searched for the one in the corner. You were the one that sought out those who felt unseen and broken by life. And we just fall in love with you all over again. Pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. So amen. If you'd like, amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show, go to RestoryShow.com for the latest and this exclusive episode information. And may you live a brand new story this week.